0: Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching and listening greatly appreciated. This week up we're going to take a look at Intel. Now Intel just reported their Q4 results which were terrible, dare I say disastrous. The full year, as a result, revenue is down 16% year-over-year, gross margins are way down, and EPS earnings per share is down 65% year-over-year. Now we need to figure out what's going on in the quarter and how does that impact cash generation. This channel, Rational Investing, is dedicated to the cash flow buyer. We want to figure out how much hard cash money is Intel making today and how much will they make in the future. And if we bought the stock today, how much do you think we could make by holding the stock for 10 years. Ready? Let's get to work. Alright, while we pick through the Q4 and the annual numbers and even some of the earnings uh, the transcripts I want to go take a look at, uh, we do want to value this stock like we do all stocks on the five key attributes as a fundamental foundation for understanding a stock for its potential consideration for more due diligence. And we what we want to do is we want to look at five key factors that I've found in my history of, of investing and running companies as a CFO that are really impactful to the economic returns or the financial returns of the long-term investor. And those five key attributes are, number one, top line revenue growth. We want to see 10 years of top line revenue growth. Number two, earnings growth. or we'll say long track record of growing earnings. Number three, strong free cash flow, absolutely. That's the name of the channel. Number, number four, low debt. We want less than three times debt to EBITDA. Debt is a risk of bankruptcy. We want that far away from us as equity owners as possible. Number five, you want a well-priced stock. You want a stock that with a reasonable forecast is expected to beat the market. The market is the S&P 500. It is done historically 10% annual return for any 10-year period of time that you measured it. What we're trying to do is beat that 10 years. So we want to find a stock that meets all five criteria, the last one being priced such that a conservative forecast is expected to beat the market. Let's take a look at right now at the Q4 earnings highlights for, uh, for Intel. Behind me is their quarterly presentation just released uh, ending December 31st, 2022. Uh, I do want to comment here, the two presenters, Pat and Dave, the CEO and CFO, uh, I would like to see this group widen. They obviously had a very, very difficult quarter. It seems to me that these two individuals are too few. They have a chief operating officer uh, or a, a chief of global operations. That individual should be on this uh, slide and may, maybe even other people. If you're having a difficult uh, quarter or year, you widen the group of exposure that you, uh, a group of um, executives that get to talk to investors, you don't shrink it. And I think having just two people here is too few. They need to widen that. If we look at the actual results for the business, uh, Q4, $14 billion down 26, 28% year over year. Gross margin was 43%. Uh, that was very, very low, 12 points, 12% below year over year number. And EPS earnings per share was based as 10 cents down 92% for the, for the year or year over year. Full year number, 63 billion dollars, that's down 16%. Gross margin 47%, that's low by 10 points. And EPS a1.84 that's low by 60 or down by 65%. So so very, very rough uh, uh, quarter. Uh, And even the previous quarter from that was also uh, difficult. And that resulted in a very, very bad year. Let's figure out uh, why. Let's take a look at some operating segments here. So revenue for their client computing group um, uh, was down to $6.6 billion from uh, 10.3 the quarter of the previous year. Operating earnings... Uh, our operating income, three point eight billion on that ten point three before. Now they made point seven billion, or seven hundred million dollars, on the six point six billion. So an absolute collapse of profitability from the small bit of, of revenue drop. Right? They have a lot of installed cost basis already. They have they have employees that they have to pay. They have factories that they're running. If they sell less volume, that means they have less revenue. To cover the kind of basic operating costs and earnings get hit harder it's called operating leverage get hurt harder than you than than you would expect. Data center and AI kind of the same story 6.4 billion dollars of revenue for this division in Q4 of 2021 that turned into 4.3 billion dollars of revenue in Q4 of 22. Profit uh, commensurately Profit fell 4.4 billion to 0.4 billion uh, in the same time period. Network and Edge Group, 2.2 billion to 2.2 billion, so flat or down 1% in revenue of this time period. Earnings fell from $352 million to only $58 million. Uh, and there's some other business segments which are smaller in size yes they're growing um, eye is growing but it's such a small division relative to a uh, four billion dollar group a six billion dollar group that it doesn't impact them financials ma- materially. One thing I want to call out in the data center and AI group is their revenue was lower on TAM contraction and competitive pressures so this this TAM, that's the total addressable market or total available market, uh, that market doesn't, doesn't shrink. That is a number out there that is uh, um, available for everyone to compete in. It's typically a long-term number. It's not this year's TAM. It's like five-year-out TAM uh, that people are competing in. And so I don't like their statement that that contracted. I think uh, realistically demand probably did shrink. Uh, but for them to say the TAM has changed, TAM is definitely a longer-term um, uh, number and I don't like them blaming kind of an ethereal number contracting as a result of revenue uh, which 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 resulted in revenue declining. I think the reality here is com- competitive pressures for them in this group caused revenue to fall. If you go to the NVIDIA's quarterly results, NVIDIA's uh, data center group grew like 33 uh, percent year over year last quarter. Uh, these guys are shrinking, Uh, So I think it's competitive pressure, not the TAM shrinking. I think that might be a bit of uh, management trying to shuck the blame a little bit here for the drop in revenue. Uh, They use the same excuse in the Network Edge where they say slower revenue by TAM weakness. Uh, Again, I I would chalk that up to maybe competitive pressures. Lastly, from their earnings presentation, the outlook. So outlook for Q1.0. Uh, basically 10 to 11 billion dollars of top line revenue multiply that by four you're looking at about 40 to 44 billion dollars of run rate uh, top line revenue Uh, gross margin 39 percent that's shocking that it would have a three in front of it that's a very very low number as a result resulting from lower revenue and earnings per share are going to be negative down 111 percent year over year for the Quarter. Now the interesting thing is they are not giving full year guidance. They've suspended full year guidance, which I think is an error on their part. I think in this in this landscape, you need to at least give your best shot at it because they have the better insight than than others do. Uh, trying to estimate what next year looks like. They're in control of the ship. You might as well throw a number out there even if you're going to be wrong. At least you have a target to go for. I think they're missing an opportunity of actual leadership and guiding the street as to what they expect to do. Uh, They're also talking about releasing the P&L for the foundry business which is what we've been asking for. And I get get comments on Twitter about how do you forecast um, uh, Intel. And I think that their big $100 billion CapEx project out several years, where they're going to build these many, many foundries, they need to release the revenue target or the earnings target for each foundry. Uh, so I'm hoping that they're going to give a PL out. Now, they said the, the CFO commented in, in the earnings release that the, that the PL they're going to release is in 2024. Uh, which I'm a little confused by why they can't release the PL today. Maybe I misheard that, but I but I still don't have a PL of what a foundry business looks like from their perspective. And I think the street is really missing that. They need to release estimates of what a PL looks like for the foundry business and give guidance to what they think this um this hundred billion capital long-term project that they're doing could ultimately achieve uh, and let the analysts in the street haircut it based on how much they believe it. All right. let's go to the transcript now. I want to pull out a couple pieces here where the CEO and CFO are talking about the quarterly results, the full year, and looking forward. The first section I want to highlight right here is in the very beginning where Pat, the CEO, is talking. He says, first on macro, we expect macro weakness to persist through the first half of the year with the possibility of the second half improvement, with possibly second half improvements. However, given the uncertainty of the current environment, we are not going to provide revenue guidance beyond Q1. So there you there, there have it. They're like, hey, it's too, much, it's too complex for us. We're going to suspend it. And we think weakness could continue in the first half of the year and, and, and possibly improve in the second half. But that, there's a lot of gray area there and that's very difficult to, to, to forecast. So I think that adds risk to what next year is going to look like. The only bit of forecasting they do give is they they have this statement about PC demand overall. They said, importantly, PC usage remains strong, reinforcing that the use case brought on by COVID persistent even as the economy has reopened. And as we've highlighted in our recent PC webinar, strong usage and installed base, which is roughly 10% higher than the pre-COVID levels. And what we see is a conservative refresh rate supports long-term PC TAM of 300 million units plus or minus post this period of adjustment. So they're they're estimating TAM at 300 million. So they are putting a target out there long term, and that 10 percent refresh rate means that they're going to sell 10 percent of those units are going to turn over every year, and they're supplying, uh, you know, semiconductors and CPUs, processors into that turnover market. Which I think uh, he is saying that the demand seems to be strong. When I look at Microsoft and their uh, solid earnings, um, I looked at uh, HPQ. Uh, their earnings were very weak on, on PC demand early on uh, this, this most recent period. Hopefully long term they do pick up. I am in general a big fan of the r- work remote and mobility uh, sector growth. And so I do think that that's going to continue to expand as, uh, as, as more and more of the global commerce gets online. So I do think this statement here about long term growth is fair that they can participate the argument then is competitively can they participate with their competitors and actually supply into that that growing market so they go through they continue talking about savings they're they're targeting three billion dollars of cost cuts this year they think out long term eight to ten billion dollars could be cut from the from the uh, from the from the company uh, for the next several years that's a huge number ten billion dollars I would like to see a bit more backup there, and it would have been nice to have the global head of operations to kind of back up that claim, or maybe give some more detail on where that where that might show up. One thing I did not like is that they've made, they're making an accounting change. It's kind of down in the bottom. The, the David did talk about it. They are just in the useful life of some of their assets. Now it's totally reasonable to do so, but I think the timing here of doing that um, is is suspect. Uh, what they're doing is they're taking uh, assets that they depreciate over, say, a five-year schedule and they're moving it to an eight-year schedule. And what that means is the annual depreciation, the expense, the annual depreciation expense for that equipment is brought down. As you stretch it out over eight years, not five, that dollar amount adds up to $4 billion of reduced annual uh, depreciation expense sprinkled out throughout uh, gross profit, Excuse me, COGS, Cost of Goods Sold, and R&D and that's going to boost EPS. If you lower depreciation your earnings per share are going to go up and I think that's going to provide them some extra boost to their earnings that they're looking for that might offset what is a lower operating structure going forward. They're trying to maintain the earnings that people are expecting and they're tweaking accounting policy which I don't like uh, they're more than able to do it. It's a legitimate change if that equipment it has a useful life of 8 years and they've been writing it off after 5. I get that but I think the timing here of this is suspect and it makes it difficult to compare year-over-year compare year EPS numbers if the go-forward EPS is higher because your depreciation expense is less. That's one reason here the channel we use EBITDA which excludes depreciation. It kind of gets up above the earnings per share level So our EBITDA estimates won't be affected by this accounting change. All right, now let's take a look at Intel and the nine years of historical financial information I have here behind me. We'll start with revenue. We'll work our way through EBITDA which is our estimate of earnings or our our, our metric for earnings. We'll do enterprise value and some ratios. First let's take a look at revenue. Now revenue for this company back in 2014 was $55, $56 billion in 2014, 2014. And it's grown kind of consistently over the last eight years with the exception of last year, 2022, where it collapsed to $63 billion. And let me just walk through these for those listening in. So you have, uh, in 2014, you've got 55.8, dollars excuse me, $55.9 billion. It goes to 55 dollars $59, $63, $71, $72, 78 $79, dollars And then drops down to 63 so over this period of time the majority of the time they were growing and they have a drop last year that'll probably drop again uh, if you look at the core they had last year or they're guiding to Q1 of 10 to 11 billion if you annualize that meaning you have one quarter just multiply times four you get 44 billion dollars well 44 billion dollars is less than 63 billion so that means 2023 if Q1 repeats four times or gets worse, then revenue is going to be $44 billion or lower, which is, um, which is very, very concerning. Now, EBITDA, earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. We're basically taking the net income line and we're adding back to that interest, tax, depreciation and amortization and any kind of other big one-time cut costs that don't happen on a regular basis because you're looking for that run rate, average, long-term earnings number. In 2014 that was $24 billion Uh, and it's kind of flat for a period and then kind of grows. Uh, So 24, 23, 23, 27 32 billion had a nice jump up there in 2018. 33 billion, 36, 34, and then 15. Basically, drops 55% last year from 34 billion dollars to 15 billion dollars last year. An absolute disaster of a year with both revenue and EBITDA falling. Uh, What this looks, it kind of repeats the same process. You've got long-term growth for the majority of this uh, time period, with the exception of this last year where it kind of craters. Let's build up to an enterprise value. Enterprise value starts with debt. You want short term debt, you want long term debt, and you want the capital leases. That's what you want in here. So they had $13.6 billion back in 2014 and that has grown to $22, $25, $26, $26, $29, $36, $38, and most recently $42 billion. That's grown at a 15% annual clip. over this nine-year period of time which is growth which is which is you know growing faster than revenue given the recent decline in uh, in revenue, excuse me, earnings. So I'd expect their leverage ratios to expand or to increase recently. Excess cash, uh, they do have plenty of cash so the balance sheet is still uh, intact and they have lots of cash to go through this storm. That's one of the reasons you want to see lots of excess cash and they definitely consumed it. So excess cash has historically been about $2 billion for this company, two and a half. Uh, It peaked during COVID at $24 billion of extra cash. This is not just cash in the balance sheet of the checking account. This is excluding that money, extra money that they have. They had $24 billion. They had now $17 billion. So this drop here of about $7 billion uh is is basically them consuming cash because they're maintaining their capex outflow which we'll get to later on and operating income is down so they're using that cash to kind of weather the storm a bit uh, which is what it's there for market cap market cap is average shares outstanding i use fully diluted times price average price per share so you get 183 billion dollars back in 2014 you get 168 170. It's kind of in that range. It gets about to 210. Not much movement here on the uh, on the market cap at all. <clears throat> Last year, um, if I use December ending number, uh, market cap 108 billion dollars f- for the business. If I add market cap and I add uh, long-term debt, less cash, I get enterprise value <clears throat> and enterprise value is the true value of a business it's not the market cap the market cap is only what's traded in the stock market is the equity piece of value but you need to make sure you figure out what that debt is and add them together to get the true value of the business uh, and that's basically going to follow the same pattern here about 200 billion uh, to 250, high a 300000000000 kind of mid time frame and tr- drops back down to $134,000,000,000 last, uh, at the, at, in December here, just last month. That is an All-Time, not an All-Time, low, it's a very, very low number. You look at both market cap and enterprise value, both of these numbers are actually lower than they've been at any point in, in Intel's history, at least the, history, no excuse me, uh, the last nine years of history. Which is very interesting. Uh, this company has traded almost two and a half times. If I look at 2018, market cap of $267 billion. Now, the market cap, at least December last month, market cap of 100 million. So it's gone from 267 million to 100 million of market cap. Let's just see for fun what is that, uh, what is that drop? That means the market cap has lost 60% of its value uh, since 2019 when it, when it peaked. So you have to look at this business and say, okay, they have installed assets of X, uh, they have name brand of Y, uh, they kind of fit in this market cap uh, of a competitive landscape, uh, perhaps they have an earnings power of whatever that number might be. Does that, does that warrant... A market cap of 100 billion. Uh, I don't know. We're going to try to figure that out. But a company that has that ha- that has in the past produced as much as 30 billion dollars of operating profit for many many years, despite this most recent drop, uh, is trading at a, th- a third of the value of its um, of its market cap. That's three times EBITDA for market cap. Uh, very interesting. Uh, prospect if it can come back from these uh, this, this most recent quarter, this, what's looked like might be a year or two of uh, struggling results. So let's take a look at a couple of metrics debt to EBITDA, net debt to EBITDA. I'm taking debt, which is long term, short term, and capital leases. I'm subtracting excess cash they have to look at a net debt number, and I divide that by EBITDA, the earnings. So I'm looking at net debt, how much do they owe, divide by your earnings to figure out how many years. Do they have to operate if they want to pay off all their debt? Same thing for your personal financial situation. If you, for example, had credit card debt, card payment, uh, you know, mortgages is a little bit different, but you can put the mortgage in there, add it all up, and say, okay, um, how, how much debt do I have? Less the cash in my bank account. Um, you might even consider your stock portfolio there too if you're putting the house in for long term. But you take all your assets, you net them together, and you divide that by your annual income, you get kind of a same thing. How many years are you going to have to work to pay off all of, your, um, all of your debt. It's the same thing here. And that number has been around one times uh, historically. Recently it's gone up to 1.6. If earnings fall again it's going to go even higher. I don't think it's going to get over two, uh, excuse me, over three which is, our, which is our, our hurdle that we don't want to be above um, but it is definitely going higher. On an enterprise value to EBITDA, so this is our relative value measure. It, does the, it takes enterprise value which is the entire business including their debt that they have and divides that by earnings. So it says, okay, how many years does the business have to operate to to basically make its own cash flow, make enough, not cash flow, earnings, make enough earnings to buy itself. Uh, it's 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 kind of a payback period. You can think of it as the number of years before you get your money back or before the company earns its money for its own investment. It's kind of how it's used in the industry. And this has been pretty close to eight to nine times um, historically. Uh, it dropped down to a low of 6.8, 6.6, um, as as people I guess anticipated kind of a decline in earnings. The market multiple dropped as the shares sold off, uh, and then. But that's a that's a very tight range actually. Uh, that's one thing I would notice looking at. A, high, a low of 6.6 and a high of 9.3 is a very, very narrow range. We've seen stocks that have, that have gone from, from 18 to 50, like massive, massive uh, dispersion. This is extremely tight uh, which, which is actually very interesting. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. i give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do. And currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Alright, now let's take a look at free cash flow. Free cash flow is what we believe is the true value of a business. It's not what people think it's going to produce. It's how much cash it actually produces. And then how much you want to pay for that is an argument over what does future cash flow look like. And we start with cash flow by looking at cash flow from operations. You can find that on the cash flow statement. It's the first third on that statement, it's typically bold, about middle of the page. It'll say cash flow from operations or operating cash flow, something to that effect. What you see behind me is the adjusted cash flow. What I like to do is I take that number and I subtract stock-based compensation. Stock-based compensa- compensation is a non-cash expense. So it is correct accounting policy to add that back uh, when you look at your cash flow operations. But for me... Uh, many companies have, uh, have abused this over the years and I want to subtract it so that I can get kind of an adjusted number as though they paid for the shares um, in, in cash. And that number in 2014 was 19 billion dollars. 19 billion went to 18, 20, 21, 28, 31, no, growing 34. then it starts coming down 27 and then 12.3 last year interesting this pattern is replicated when you look at EBITDA kind of follows the same thing we have EBITDA of 24 23 22 26 then goes up to 30s then comes back down to 15 that patterning is 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 a good accounting check it means that the accounting team is expensing expenses properly that are coming through the cash um, cash account that there's not too much fun uh, f- funny business going on because the the patterning of, on the cash flow statement is following the patterning of the income statement. If, as an example, <clears throat> instead of losing $15 billion, they came up with a bunch of reasons why uh, they can maintain those earnings and this number was was um, was $33 billion. They just kept it going from the prior year some, somehow. You would then see the drop in adjusted cash flow of $12 billion, but income statement didn't fall. That, to me, would be a weird... A nuance and you really want to look into that to see why it didn't fall. But it fell they're in line, they move up together they move down together. Good job accounting team I like to see that. CapEx CapEx is capital expense it means what are they investing in the business for? New factories or to refurbish the existing factories and they are on a long trend here of spending close to or more than $100 billion to build out multiple fabrication facilities across the United States and Europe as part of this part of this um, repatriation, if you will, of the infrastructure to make semiconductors. And I'm a big fan of this. I think it's going to be big for Europe and for the U.S. It is going to be inflationary to the end consumer. They're going to have to pay more for those products, but it will ensure the supply chain is less interrupted. I think long term it's a good thing to do. But what that means is it means these numbers here are going to be massively heavy for many, many years and they're going to have to borrow money or have partnerships like they do to help offset some of this cash flow that they have to go to go pour concrete, put steel up, put a roof on it, fill it with very, very expensive technical equipment. By the way, companies selling equipment into Intel that make the chips might be a good stock to look at. But these guys are going to have to spend a tremendous amount of money to go build that infrastructure. So these number, this number, and these numbers are going to be very close together going forward for a long, long time. You can see historically they tried to keep a wide gap here, of about nine to ten billion dollars every year. That means they operate, they operate the business, they get cash flow in 2015, 15 let's pick, 2014. They operated and got $19 billion of jack. It's just piled up on the table, sitting in the bank account. They're like, what do we do with this? Well, let's put $10 billion into re- refabbing our facilities. And that still leaves me about $10 billion that I can pay down debt, which I don't have much debt. Then it pays, it goes to the investor. It goes to you and I as the equity owner. Right? Now, they're, in, they're embarking on a long, uh, a long factory development plan which is going to take up a lot of this cash. So now last year they paid t- they 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 generated 12.3 billion dollars of jack, which is less. They put out 25 billion. They put out twice as much money to go build infrastructure and and, and maintain the existing infrastructure than they took in uh, in operating results. That's why you saw cash balance fall. Cuz they had to get the cash from someplace. They borrow money They go borrow money from the bank, which is this next column we'll get to, financing, and they use cash on hand. Or you can sell shares in equity and go get that too. So this this gap here between cash flow operations and CapEx, I think is going to be lower for for many, many years going forward until they build these facilities. Then it will spring back because this number will come down. Hopefully, the new facilities that they're building means higher revenue and higher revenue means higher earnings and so on and so forth. That's the big gamble here. And the problem that I have is I don't think Intel is giving enough guidance as to what the earnings are going to be for the facilities they're building. They obviously have a financial model. I, you know, If, if I was going to build a factory you have to put a financial model together to pitch it to your board of directors to go get financing for it. They have a model. They need to share some idea of what these, these foundries are spe- expected to make if they're putting so much money to work to go build them. The third column here is the debt payments, not the debt amount that's down here in the balance sheet. We want the debt payments, the inflows and outflows. This is did you pay your mortgage, not the balance of your mortgage. So this is annually, did you pay out or did you, pay, did you borrow money? And you can see historically uh, they had some positive, some negative years because they really weren't doing a lot. They weren't borrowing money. They weren't building a lot. Now that they're building, they're borrowing and they're saying, okay, I want to go spend last year, for example, $25 billion of capex. I only made 12.3 so I'm short. I'm short, uh, what's that, $15, uh, $16 billion? Well, I'm going to borrow, I'm going to borrow 2.3 and I'm going to y- go use my cash on hand for the rest. That means that free cash flow to the enterprise was negative, negative by a lot, negative by $10 billion um, last fiscal year. Uh, If I zeroed out the debt, it would still be largely negative because because of this particular year. So that's definitely going to throw greater risk into how to value this business. Shares outstanding. So now we know what the free cash flow for the enterprise looks like. Um, historically it's been looks like it's around 10 to $12 billion uh, it, was large, it was very very negative last year $10 billion because of how much they put back but we can take that that annual cash flow and divide it by the number of shares outstanding to get a cash flow per share and that cash flow per share is ultimately what the shares themselves are valued on and the share price moves up and down as people argue over what they think the future cash flow per share is going to be that's pretty much the stock market. Shares outstanding have gone from five billion dollars to four billion. To 4 bi- 5 billion. shares outstanding have gone from five billion to four point one billion. That's a twenty-five percent reduction, which is a massive reduction in the in the shares outstanding that they've been buying back, and they've stopped that recently because obviously earnings are are down, and they have a huge capex that they need to pay. They also pay a very big dividend, and that dividend takes a lot of cash every quarter for them to pay out and that cash that dividend comes out of this number here and that's why we look at this column because this column is cash that's available to you and I uh, and that cash can be used to buy back stock pay, pay, and pay, pay dividends and if this number is negative for a long long time they're not going to have money to pay dividends and they're not going to have money to pay uh, buy back stock they're going to have to borrow it uh, and, and while they have the room to do it that's not a sustainable long-term plan. Share based comp, I've got share price, average, and a yield. Um, what I what I would do is I because last year was so treacherous um, and even next year might be we're going to have to look at some kind of estimate of what we think they can get to in the future and then go off that number. Alright, let's forecast in town. Now as I said this is very, very difficult. They don't provide guidance. Uh, they haven't provided guidance on the foundry capex that they're gonna they're gonna spend. So this is uh, a, just basically a guess, as all forecasting is guessing. So please don't put uh, hang your hat on this number. It's merely the absence of guidance in the business. I'm gonna put up a number that I think they could achieve out ten years. That's why we look ten years out because. We want to figure. We want to hold these for a long time, and so much uncertainty can happen year to year that this is really kind of a gauge in the in the air, thumb in the air, kind of what do we think they might be able to achieve? So next year, I'm say I'm going to say that they're simply going to repeat the year that they had. They're I think I think revenue is going to come down uh, or be very similar to Q uh, the Q1 forecast of ten billion dollars uh, that they're forecasting in Q1 of this year. I think the second half, I don't think the second half is going to be much better, excuse me the second quarter, but I think the second half might come up slightly. So overall I'm thinking they're going to even out and be roughly flat again. Have another flat $15 billion EBITDA number. However, after that, after they get passed next year, as the the world kind of uh, recovers from this post-COVID and this economic tightening that we're going through, I do think that fundamental demand for mobile uh, technology, for PCs, for online applications, for the internet of things, for, for all, of, all of those reasons, I think the demand for semiconductors, for processors will continue to grow over time as they get better and better. And I do think that they will be able to, especially if they have these foundries, make enough profit at least to grow their, their earnings that they had at a low base of 5% annually. So I think they're going to have it $15 billion. It's going to take them three years to get back to where they they were before the fall. So by 2026 they're at a $33 billion level. And that could also be on top of uh, the $8 to $10 billion that they expect to cut. I don't know if they're going to get all of it but I think some sort of return to revenue plus cuts gets them back to 33 billion which is what they made prior to this drop and that's 3 4 years out from now and then from there i think they grow 5% a year from pricing maybe they get the foundries built maybe they don't maybe they sell i don't know that piece that's a big mystery and there's a lot of risk to that uh, i don't i don't like big open ended capex projects that don't have good guidance or good fundamentals so i'm 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 concerned about their ability to execute on that given what we're seeing. But if I, if, if I say, look, we've got many, many years from now, they're a huge company, they should be able to figure it out if not get executives there that can figure it out. Uh, and that long term, they can get back and grow that number to about $45 billion of, of EBITDA. And, and that is again underpinned by a natural need for semiconductor um, installed capacity across the globe and Intel being one of the major players around the world uh, to fulfill that. I apply a 9x market multiple to that and I get a $400 billion enterprise value. I less the debt plus the cash that they have currently and I get a market cap of $350 billion Divide by shares and I get an $85 price target out 10 years from now for Intel based on some very rough estimates okay free cash flow what do we want to do for free cash flow well, i said i said earlier that i want to take a look at the last couple years when they were making that 30 some odd billion dollars of ebitda what did free cash flow look like if i put debt aside for a minute what does that free cash flow just adjusted free cash flow minus capex look like and you're in this 3 to 4 dollar range this past year of 2021 Um, this is the unadjusted number. There are a lot of one-time items I could have added back, but I wanted to keep it low to give more cushion. This averages here to 325. So I'm going to use that number out several years. I don't know what's going to happen next year. If they're negative again, if earnings are low, then they're not going to have a lot of cash to for for me to, to rely on. They're going to clearly pay the dividend, but